Hello everybody and welcome to All Believes No Glory, the podcast. Uh, Happy New Year, if it's still okay to say Happy New Year. I'm never sure when you stop saying Happy New Year to people you're seeing for the first time or speaking to for the first time in the year. Oh my goodness, Blaze has got a squeak toy that he got for Christmas and he's now playing with it uh, since I started the podcast. (laughs) So I do apologise. I normally bring him through when I do the podcast so he can sit and listen to the podcast that's essentially named after him. Um, so yeah, New Year. Um, hope everyone is um had a good uh, festive period. You'll be pleased to note that I took Blaze's squeaker off, although there is another one hidden in his bed. So if he finds that, I do apologise. Um, he actually came over for a wee clap. Um, after I uh, to hit his ball. Um, but the, his his new burger that we brought him back from Canada is sitting in his uh, his bed next to him. Speaking of Canada, what will be what I'll, what I'll, I'll be? I say wheel. I'm not the royal we. Um, what I'll be talking about today is I'll be sort of reviewing um, some aspects of my honeymoon away to Canada and um, the sporting context. Um, what sports we watched over there? Um, what um, events we attended? And uh, and talking a little bit about that and how uh, the Canadians and uh, do their sport. Um, We'll also be talking just a little bit of some reactions to the um, Scottish men's um, squad announcement um, in rugby. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the um, RFU's decision to change um, the laws on tackling um, to waist and below. And um, just anything else that maybe comes up in my mind, anything else that tickles my fancy. There's a little bit of NFL chat as well to be had. So... um, First things first, um, and I want to get this out of the way because it's a one major negative thing um, that I um, think should be addressed. I don't really want to talk about it, um, but um, I want to talk about uh, Rufus McLean, and I hope after today it'll be the last time his name is mentioned on the podcast. But um, we all maybe have read, uh, well, certainly most of my listeners will have read um, the uh, rather disturbing Daily Record article in relation to uh, Rufus McLean and um, his conviction in terms of the Domestic Abuse Scotland Act, in terms of which um, the legislation requires someone to essentially have exerted coercive control, engaged in a course of conduct designed to essentially belittle, punish, um, coerce, uh, or otherwise emotionally harm um a, a victim and uh, so it's pretty grim uh, legislation wording and um, he has uh, certainly um, in what is described acted in one of the worst manners possible where it seems like he doesn't really have um, a lot of remorse it's not like it been and I'm not downplaying any domestic abuse but it's not been a snap thing this has been a sustained course of conduct which is just horrible and um, in the course of that, uh, Glasgow Warriors um, now have announced that he's suspended and they have launched an investigation. I understand there was a disciplinary hearing recently. I'm not sure of the outcome of that yet. But quite rightly, um, there are people um, on Twitter, uh, Scottish rugby fans and Glasgow Warriors fans, questioning about how the club didn't know about this and about... Um, how uh, this was all handled because Rufus McLean played um, in quite late December. Um, There was an article posted where he was the feature um, media uh, 
person, <laughs> for want of a better expression, on um, Glasgow Warriors' webpage. Now, they've not taken those things down. Um, I was listening to the Scottish Rugby Board and their views on this, and I 100% agree that's an easy thing to do, and it should have been maybe taken down. Um, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe you don't take the link to his bio down right away, but at the very least take down the sort of videos where he's talking about how great it was to win and all this sort of stuff. Um, that being said, uh, what what a lot of people have said is that the uh, SRU and Glasgow Warriors must have known about this. Um, I think I think a lot of people maybe would find it difficult to believe that they didn't hear some form of rumblings about this. I think you know from what I've seen on uh, Twitter, there's there's a suggestion that the family tried to let them know about them as well. I I guess they might have had certain issues with not dealing with anything official. Um, but in terms of the, the legal process, it, there seems to be a slight misunderstanding about how they might not have known about this. Um, if it, There's two ways this could have started, essentially, for it, or two prongs of the criminal procedure this could have started with. It could have started on solemn procedure, which is, um, it can, is how they start. every case starts that ends up either in the High Court or in the Sheriff and Jury Court, um, and that's obviously higher level offences. Um, or it could have started in the summary court, which is the sh a sheriff on his own, or um, a justice of the peace court. Now, he's, he's in the sheriff court, so we can ignore justice of the peace. If it started on the solemn procedure, he would have appeared in answer to what's called a petition. Um, and at a petition, the first calling of any petition hearing, whether it's from custody or um, a, a petition undertaken or, or whatever it may be, it's, it's heard entirely in private, um, unlike other hearings where there may be members of the press in the court um, who could report that he appeared for something. It, 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 it comes out entirely privately and then he would make no plea. So with the timing of this offence, and I, I know nothing about this case, um, he may have appeared sometime in 2021 and made no plea, which is simply given to you by the police, uh, which is the procedure you have to adopt in that case, um, in the case of a petition, sorry. Um, in terms of uh, if it's a case that started in the in the summary procedure, um, there's three ways that those can start, and and there is somewhat of a backlog from um, in the courts. Um, it can start on a case that's cited, where essentially you get a letter, and you're never ever, ever arrested. You just get a letter saying you need to answer this charge on this date, um, and at this time, um, you can. Uh, be arrested and appear the next day from custody uh, or you um, can be um, charged by the police and essentially given um, an undertaking which is a form of bail um, order. The difficulty in knowing um, how uh, about the timings in this case is, is the reporting on it is somewhat strange. Ordinarily when a, a Scottish capped rugby player appears at court um, for something as serious as this and pleads guilty, um, it would be reported on on that date or on that day or if not the next morning. Um, it certainly it normally may even go online on that date and then you know in the papers the next morning. Um, but what seems to have weirdly happened here is that um, the paper article on the eighteenth of January seems to be the first reporting of this case. So it would tend to suggest without knowing 
um, anything about the actual procedure and when he played and all the rest of it, that he either played by letter in a cited case or he was appearing um, on um, a reduction to summary of some sort and he played at a pleading diet um, which maybe had no um, court reporter in um, at some point. It could have even been between Christmas and New Year. Um, or he's played in absence and um, the story hasn't been released because uh, he um, wasn't there and they were waiting for him to um, to come in to confirm his plea. Um, so if a, if a lawyer, if in a cited case, you can appear yourself uh, or be represented or you can actually plead by letter. Um, so if he had appeared himself, if, if he wasn't there, and he was pleading to such a thing, sometimes the sheriff will um, continue the case for him to be personally present to essentially confirm his plea um, and for the narration and things like that. Um, if it was a, a, um, a case that started its life as a petition, it can be reduced to, not, um, to a, sum, a summary complaint. And again, given the timing of it, he may um, have, uh, there may have been a suggestion that he was to plead um, in absence in that case although that's quite rare and normally um, you would appear on that. Um, nevertheless, whatever's happened when he's initially pled, um, it's not been reported on. Um, so it's hard to say whether the SRU knew or not, but one thing I do agree with, and I, and I fully agree with this, um, I heard I was listening to the Scottish Rugby uh, podcast as well, and Cami Black mentioned this, is the SRU, at the very least now, need to look into how they um, deal with such matters and how they allowed someone who was ex exercising such behaviour um, and make sure that they can keep some kind of an eye on these things and make sure that these sorts of issues are dealt with in a, in a manner um that is preventative rather than reactive. Um, and maybe in the future, um, and this it was it was a good point, Mike Hammy, they don't need to, at the point he is involved in a case and they're aware of that, they don't need to um, sack him or suspend him without pay if he's saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in this case, but I'm not guilty. Um, I, in fact, I don't think it would be pro proper for them to do that um, or legally correct, but they could have put him on gardening leave and kept him out of the media altogether um, and maybe just said he's not playing at the moment for personal reasons, which is exactly what Cami said. I'm, I'm quoting him. Um, I think that's the best way they could have dealt with it. Anyway, I spent enough time on him because he's a waste of time, uh, And I, but I just wanted to kind of maybe, I thought it might be helpful for people when they're having their thoughts on it to maybe understand just how the cases can start I'm pretty sure that's a fairly um, weak explanation for it all, but it it, it give if you've got any questions, you can send me a, a DM or whatever and ask me, um, and I can I can try and clarify any other points um, in terms of the procedure. Um, I can't tell you anything about the procedure in this case because I don't know, um, but I just think it's helpful to know the actual procedure and how the case might have started his life. Um, to maybe understand how certain things fell in place. I do think it would be good for the SRU and the Glasgow Warriors to maybe 
go through your procedure of, of maybe explaining to the fans how um, the timeline worked here and what steps are going to take to ensure that a player isn't playing after all these um, things that he's done in the future um, and not essentially being celebrated after doing something so heinous. Um, right, let's move on from that because that's pretty negative uh, and let's talk about some more positive stuff. Uh, let's talk about DeMar Hamlin and the Buffalo Bills. Now, you might be thinking, if you know the story about DeMar Hamlin, how in the name of the wee man is that positive? Well, um, I think that it's a positive story in this sense. Um, for those of you who don't know, DeMar Hamlin was playing a Monday night football um, in early January. I can't remember the exact date um, off the top of my head. And he... Um, dropped to the turf um, and CPR had to be administered. He uh, There was ongoing CPR for nine minutes. He had stopped breathing at one point um, and uh, the players, if if you were watching the broadcast, looked absolutely out of it in terms of they were so concerned. Um, and there was an out... What were the positive about it was, was Tamar has a started a children's charity. He actually stayed at college um, in, in his hometown and he had offers of maybe going to bigger schools and stuff, but he stayed there to look after his wee brother um, and make sure his wee brother was well looked after. He he, uh, he set up a kids' charity um, to try and help kids um, have a better future and to get toys and things like that. Um, and what was positive about it is the way everyone came together in that moment and sport didn't matter anymore. Um, I was actually watching it live. It's one of the first times I'd watched Monday Night Football live for a long time, um, largely because I was in Canada at the time and the time zones worked. But I think um, it's a kind of uplifting story, uh, Damar Hamlin's story where he, where he dropped on the field and his um, toy drive, which is supposed to raise... $2,500 ended up raising over $4 million. Um, It's just incredible. And I think it's something that gives me a little hope when you can turn a positive in and a negative. And hopefully um, we can see more of that and that outpouring of unity. Because at the end of the day, sometimes we're, we're fans and we're passionate and we want our team to win. Um, but the vitriol in, in certain quarters needs to stop. And there. Uh, that was one thing I loved about the, the DeMar Hamlin thing. Every team um, in the NFL supported him. Uh, teams changed their colours for Twitter and things like that and a show of solidarity. His jersey um, was the highest selling jersey in NFL.com and Fanatics, who are the um, jersey, the, com the providers of these jerseys, donated all the proceeds to his charity as well. So it's just incredible stuff. And then go and read some of the articles on it. It's, it's pretty inspiring. Uh, and, I mean, watching it live was one of the most terrifying, um, harrowing experiences I've ever had in my life, um, watching um, what appeared to be someone, essentially, um, fighting for their life um, on field, uh, watching the commentators react in a manner um, that they just couldn't, really cope or know what to say was was harrowing um and um I, you know I, i'm sure damar hamlin will never ever get wind of this podcast but 
uh, I was so, so glad to hear when he woke up. Um, I was following it, uh, constantly following it, even um, Lindsay was following it, who's not really into the NFL like I am, um, having watched a wee bit of it with me in the, in the hotel. She was following it, she read up on him, she found out about his college and stuff. So it was an uplifting story when we heard that he was FaceTiming his team and telling them to go and win and, and all this stuff and how positively he took it, saying, you know, and you can believe in God or not believe in God, but saying that um, God had different plans for him um, when the Bills were playing their last regular season game, um, but he wished he was with his brothers and all this sort of stuff. It was just, it, it showed how positive form, uh, sport can be and the community of sport. And um, it, it to me, it, whilst it was really concerning what happened to him, and I hope to never see anything like it again, I think... Uh, it certainly turned a negative into a positive with the reaction, the the unity, and the um the just the outpouring of of love. Uh, so um yeah, uh, if you don't know more about if you want to know more about that, just look up the name Demar Hamlin, um and you'll find out more about it. And I think you can still donate to his his charity and things. Um, so yeah, that was that was something I wanted to touch on before sort of went into a wee bit more of the, the meat and drink of things. Um, so with that in mind, given that I witnessed that when I was in Canada watching the TV, um, let's talk a little bit about Canada. I don't want to go on and on about my honeymoon and what we ate and all this sort of stuff because, frankly, that's not what you want to hear maybe. Um, but I do want to talk about um, about Canada and how they, they approached... Essentially, the only sport that I went to see was... Uh, live was hockey um but how they approach that and uh how they also how they present it on television as well so um Lindsay and I went to Canada for three weeks for our honeymoon um into Alberta uh, which is more west of Canada um landed in Calgary and um the first place we drove to was Red Deer now the funny thing about Red Deer was Lindsay and I loved our experience in Red Deer but if any Canadian that we told we went to Red Deer um, during our honeymoon to gave us a look like we were absolutely mad, um, which is actually funny because it leads on to the fact that we ended up in the paper um, in Red Deer and then we ended up being um, name-dropped on spitting chiclets, which we knew nothing about, um, and we got called crazy essentially on that. So... Um, Red Deer is about two hours maybe north of Calgary, um, in between Calgary and Edmonton. And when I saw that that was on the way to Edmonton, I remembered what listening to Spitting Chicklets and I thought, I'm going, I want to watch a game there because it's meant to be brilliant for what they call junior hockey, which is under 20s hockey in Canada. But the junior hockey in Canada is essentially that's the stepping stone to the pro level. It's um as I suppose under twenty is it rugby or whatever, and um, and so the players there are really high quality and, and that was the WHL which is the Canada's level of what they call major junior underneath that you've got junior A, B, C, um so went to the we we got tickets to the game well before we went um the ticket site was a bit of a disaster but it was worth it in the end, um. And we got to the game. Now, one thing I will tell you about uh, 
buying tickets for any game in Canada is do not pick tickets right directly behind either team's bench because you will not be able to see. Um, having been a British hockey fan, I thought sitting behind the bench, you'd have like you'd have a seat sort of. So your eyes were above kind of the heads of the players and the coaches standing on the bench. Uh, however, I was very wrong, and we basically spent the first period. Um, we could smell everything that was happening, but we could not see anything that, very much that was happening. Um, so we did move in the second period. So little word of warning, if you're going to Red Deer or any any um, Canadian rink, don't sit right behind the benches. You're better off behind the goal, or um, but sit further back and you'll see a lot more because I certainly learned that. Um, that game was... Uh, the difference with that under-20s game to anything I've seen in Britain is... is the only time I've seen a sport that's sort of age bracketed, that's presented like a it's a massive deal. Like I've been to Scotland under twenties and the you know the there's burger vans there and stuff like that, but the the sort of just the entertainment and stuff and it's the way the sport works. Hockey, you know, the stops in hockey, and the clock stops and the players change and things like that. So there's chance for competitions. There's chance for. Um, doing a lot more in those breaks and that's one of the things that you know you can't do that in, in football and rugby but just even at half time um the the way they were the well not in half time in between periods the way they were um they had chuck a park in certain uh, certain arenas we were in they had they had um 50 50 draw which was i think in red deer and this is a junior game remember i think the jackpot was twenty one thousand dollars um, and, you know, tickets weren't that expensive for it. Um, so this being the first game I had been to in Canada in over 12 years, um, I was super excited for it. I didn't know how Lindsay would take it. Um, and uh, when we got there and the, um, you know, we're right by the bench and couldn't see anything, I got a little bit of a dirty look. Um, although um, once we moved, uh, Lindsay just seemed to get into it a, lo- a little bit and she told me that she quite enjoyed the hockey um, and I would encourage anyone that's in Alberta and I'm not saying anything about Red Deer the town because we didn't see a lot of it but go to Red Deer for a game if you're near um, if you're in Edmonton or in Calgary you can get there quite easily um, Go there and watch a junior hockey game because it is an experience. The fans are super passionate. Um, the uh, the music they play for all the different parts of the game is super exciting. And the two teams, it was 7-1 the final score, which was a bit one-sided, but the two teams went at it the whole 60 minutes because they're all there trying to prove themselves so they can make it to the, the next level of the NHL. Um, and it's... It's actually, to be honest, probably the most entertaining hockey you can see. I think the NHL is the excitement. It's the best league in, in the world. But junior hockey is pretty exciting too because they give everything. Um, so following that game, this is where I tweeted to the Red Deer Rebels, who were the team we were watching, um, that there were honeymooners from Scotland there. And in response to that, um, I was contacted by a journalist um, to do an interview in um, the uh, local Red Deer paper, the Red Deer Advocate, um, which was really 
a cool experience getting interviewed um, for the paper and then seeing our faces essentially um, in a newspaper on the other side of the world. Uh, and we got some pretty cool feedback from that. Um, people said it was a really cool story. And then there was uh, obviously that following on from that, we ended up on Spitting Chicklets, which is one of the biggest um, ice hockey podcasts uh, in um, North America. So it was pretty cool just to get name dropped on that as well. Um, yeah. Um, so after that, there was a few other games. We went to a game a league lower. Um, we, um, the AJHL, which is the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And that is um that is junior A, which is below major junior, um. So it's the kids there are they're trying to get either into the WHL with a view to maybe one day try and make the NHL, or they're looking to maybe get into the NCAA, which is the North, um, the North, sorry, not North, the American College um Association, like sports association. So it's um. It, again, the level's high. It's much higher than just about anything you'll see in Britain. I mean, the Elite League has reasonably high standards that I think an Elite League team would possibly beat those junior teams, but I think it'd be pretty close, and that's because the Elite League's got a bunch of senior guys and stuff in it. Um, so the 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 good thing about that game was so it was so it was it was cheap to get into, but it was so. Um, like sort of like a family kind of community club almost, even though it was it was these these guys playing in it. Um it was fierce from the start. It was high paced, passionate hockey. Um and uh, Spruce Grove uh, Spruce Grove Saints that we saw in the in the AGHL, um that was where I got the first the first jersey I bought on honeymoon. Um, which is a double sided one, which is quite a cool idea. I wish they'd do it without rugby shirts where uh it's reversible, so you can reverse into the whole the the dark or the or the white, um, which was really cool, um, to do. I um, incidentally, we won the fifty fifty that night as well, uh, but it was a much lower charge of uh, fifteen hundred dollars. But um, the you could tell the woman was quite pleased for us after we bought all the merch that we kind of won our money back and <laughs> and uh, and and stuff. So yeah, um. The the AJHL there's other leagues that you, you have to kind of Google them because um for every for major juniors there's OHL, uh QMJHL which is Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and then there's the OH uh, the WHL which is the one we were at with the Red Deer, um the like the AJHL is one of the leagues that sort of feeds into the WHL and then there's the BCHL as well which is a British Columbia Hockey League which is again. Um, junior A, um, I don't know the ones in Ontario and stuff, so you kind of have to Google things. If you are going to Canada and you want to look into something like that, then I would recommend um, if you're over during hockey season that you look into those games because they're, they're really quite um, well-priced to go and watch. The standard hockey is fantastic and it's kind of like anything. Like You could be watching second 15 rugby, but if the two teams are reasonably well-matched and ambitious, then you're going to have an exciting time and that's exactly what um that that game was i mean it was far from amateur you know the level of uh, of ability these players have is is ridiculous and most of them would as I, as I mentioned most of them would get definitely jobs over here in the professional leagues quite easily um the level of hockey they were playing 
the next night we went to the Edmonton Oilers, which is the is an NHL team, and I saw Connor McDavid, who um, was a, a number one draft pick some years ago, and that was an experience in itself because um, the Oilers lost. The game itself was kind of like one of these Premiership football games where the two teams kind of cancel each other out, um, and there's not a lot happening. In this particular game, I suppose the Oilers were sort of more dominant on the puck and they, they had a lot more shots. Um, but um, I saw two greats that night. I saw Dave, Connor McDavid, who I think he's like one of the youngest players to reach. I can't remember how many points it is, but um, he's he's on track to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in the, NH, in the NHL. I saw him and Connor Hellebuck, um, who was in goals for the um, Winnipeg Jets who was unreal um, in, in his abilities um, the atmosphere at the game was it was really good and it was the game when I realised that Lindsay actually, um, she might not admit it totally but in, Lindsay had a bit of a uh, was a bit into hockey because she was sort of getting a little bit like will they do this, will they do that um, in supporting the, the Oilers <laughs> Uh, to try and come back and, and make it to all at the end. Uh, so what I would dis- say about the NHL is if you're going to Canada, then the NHL um, is only in so many cities. So it's, uh, there's Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa, um, Montreal, and uh, last and definitely last, Toronto. Um, <laughs> so... Particularly, uh, the Edmonton game wasn't actually too bad. It, there was a few empty seats, and I don't know whether that was season ticket holders that maybe had other family plans because it was it was New Year's Eve, um, and it was like eight o'clock at night on New Year's Eve, or whether they they hadn't sold out. But um, they weren't too bad to get to. But I've heard that at certain times and with certain opponents. Um, you'll really struggle to get tickets and tickets can become super expensive. So if you want to go to the NHL and see the best hockey the world has to offer, essentially in terms of athletes and players, uh, then realistically you, you need to plan miles ahead, know when the tickets are going on sale, um, sign up for any pre-sales that you can get and all that sort of stuff. Be really careful um, because there are a lot of places that will claim they've got tickets for a game before they actually are out. Um, so if I were you, I would stick to the official ones and go on like Ticketmaster as much as I'm not a massive fan of Ticketmaster since they in- introduced surge pricing. Um, Ticketmaster is the best way to go for, for that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and uh, enjoy it. One of the great things about hockey is there's so much going on at once, but also in the, the way the Canadians do it, there's there's lots of, they've got all got big screens and stuff like that. But they've got like live music. The the announcers are, obviously announce things. Um, there's always plenty of, um, and the bigger the bigger the arena, the more varied the snacks are. Um, so that's something to be aware of. Um, and uh, you know, uh, it's it's just really good entertainment from start to finish in terms of, um. Like I I I'm a geek with sports with a lot of things. So actually, when we we're in Red Deer, we couldn't see because we we're behind the goals, eh, behind the bench. I was quite enjoying watching the coaches and how they worked the bench, um, and that's 
something that you can learn from or, or watch. Uh, and that's what's fascinating about hockey. It's one of the only sports where you can you substitute whilst the game is going on. Um, most other sports, there has to be a stop and play. You never really see in rugby, um, like, you know, uh, Finn Russell's down, so he goes off for a couple of minutes. Um, let's, whoever's on, we'll say Blair Kinghorn, uh, come on for a couple of minutes till he's got his breath back and then he runs back on again and they swap over. Um, that's not the nature of rugby. Rugby's more endurance and more um, attritional, whereas ice hockey is explosive. And um, yes, you need endurance to do ice hockey. You need to be able to recover quickly. But that's one of the good things about ice hockey is you go on, um, it's uh, and uh, you you burn for thirty five to forty seconds if you're a forward and you're off. Um, so it's it's definitely the fastest team sport on two legs. Um, Except if you've got a horse that can uh, that can do a handstand. Um, after that, uh, after Edmonton Oilers, we went to Edmonton Oil Kings on New Year's Day, um, where we got um, the, uh, the sort of corporate table seats, uh, where they bring you table service. It's a trap. Um, they <laughs> it ended up costing us more at the same price as the tickets did in food and drink. And um, Lindsay was only drinking Pepsi, um, so uh, be careful if you do that. But it's cheaper if you want to do anything like these corporate kind of experiences, then do it at a junior game because it will be like more reasonably priced. It was only fifty dollars to sit in essentially the best seats in uh, the Rogers Centre, which is the same place the Oilers play, and um, watch the junior game. Um, uh, you know, it's it's brilliant. Um, after Edmonton, um, we had a great time. In Ed- we had a good time in Edmonton in terms of it was mainly the hockey stuff that was what we did in Edmonton. Um, our next stop was uh, Jasper, which is um, sort of, I want to say west and kind of across, but I really couldn't tell you from Edmonton. But it's in the Canadian Rockies um, in the, the mountains. And um, getting there was... Uh, a bit stressful. Um, there was one point where we thought the van was breaking down. Um, it was, wait, well, not a van. They gave us a truck. And that's another thing you should know. Do, if you hire a truck, then just ask them if it can be in four-wheel drive all the time. Because we got this truck and we weren't sure it could be in four-wheel drive unless we were stuck. And on the roads, because the, the back end of it's so icy, that it can skid about even if you're not driving funny. Um and uh, this thing started rattling as well. So they they also give you a stick with a brush on one end and a scraper on the other, and that's very important. You need to clear it underneath your wheels every night, uh, every time you drive, um, in in Canada during the winter, because uh, I found to my peril that it makes it sound like the van's about to blow up. Um, and then the option of the place where we'd hired it when we th- said we had concerns was to drive back to Edmonton. Um, after being two hours away from Edmonton um, to return it. Now, luckily, when I started to drive back to Edmonton, I realised it had stopped rattling because I'd been out and cracked all the, hit all the snow and everything off it. So we got away with one, in a sense. Um, and we uh, and we went to um, Jasper. Now, we were only in Jasper a couple of nights. Uh, if you go to Jasper in the winter, um, Pyramid Lake is definitely worth going to because it's... It's kind of funny. Um, 
you see all these things in postcards and in the and the, the pictures, the tourism pictures and stuff, and you're like, I don't know if that's actually what it looks like. And when you get there, it doesn't look quite like it. But Pyramid Lake in Jasper definitely looks like it. You can see why they've used it for the postcards, um, and you can skate uh, at the bottom of it on the on the ja uh, on Pyramid Lake, uh, which is what I did. And someone cleared a like a sort of ring plus a um, sort of small ice hockey rink on it. So I just skated around the ring. I didn't have any stick or anything with me. And um, essentially, uh, it was just lovely to just, you know, burn off some energy skating around. And, um, and yeah, it's bumpy, but you've got, you know, if you, you should probably go skating before you go if you're going in the winter. Um, and then... From there, um, we actually went to Jasper Ice Arena or Jasper Leisure Centre, which has an ice rink in it. Um, and uh, that let sort of Lindsay get a bit of a skate because the ice was flatter and there was boards and stuff. And she hadn't skated in 10 years, so um, it was useful. And I found out there was going to be an amateur game, so I went to that at night, um, when Lindsay was sort of in her bed and uh, and watched these two amateur teams playing. Now, they weren't anything special, but it was kind of cool to see how they did they'd done their hockey. Um, in the amateur game, no check-in, so it was a bit safer. Um, just the two referees, and they played two twenty-minute, two twenty-two-minute periods, um, instead of the usual three twenty-minute periods. Um, after that, um, we uh, went to Banff. Um, you'd be pleased to know that's the end of me rabbing all about sport in Banff. Banff is awesome. Um, we went to uh, the gondola, which if you're ever in the Rockies. Go to the gondola at Banff. It is so worth it um, for the price you pay for it. it. Takes you up to the top of Sulphur Mountain. Um, there's then a walkway where you walk along. You get all these beautiful views, and eventually you like essentially summit Sulphur Mountain. Although you've not really summited it because you've not walked all the way up it, um, and uh, you get some cracking photos, some beautiful views. It is cold up there in the winter. You can go in the summer up there as well. Um, there's also at the bottom of it, there's a, there's a hot springs in Banff. Um, the difficulty with the hot springs is basically just getting in them because they, they're really popular. Um, so you have to kind of book them well in advance. So like when you book your ticket to go to Canada. Um, and then that was that. After that, we went down to Calgary um, we'd spent a few days in Banff. I uh, went to Calgary, went to Calgary Dinos University game, uh, ice hockey, uh, women's hockey. Um, it was good to see, like, there was a good crowd at the women's game. Um, it was it was fairly quiet for a Saturday night, but it was a Saturday night, so you can kind of understand it. Um, Dinos ended up winning 3 0. Um, I kind of embarrassed myself because I wanted a hat when I got there and they didn't have a shop. So I was a little bit disappointed because it was just a uni campus rink. But it was quite cool to see a uni rink where, you know, it's it's actually for the university. Um, and then the last game we went to was the Wranglers, which is the AHL. That's a league below the NHL. Now, the, the way the Americans do their sport and, and the NHL does their sport is um, they have, um, like, farm teams. So... Um, the uh, Calgary Wranglers are the farm teams of the are the farm team of the Calgary Flames. So a lot of the players in the Calgary um, Wranglers are actually got a, like a two what they call a two way contract with the Calgary Flames, where they can be called up if a player say gets injured for the Flames, or um, 
a player's playing rubbish for the Flames, so they send them down, um, or they trade a player for a draft pick and they want to pick up a, uh, they want to bring somebody up to cover that hole. Um, they can call people up from the AHL. There's different rules about waivers and stuff of sending people down, but it's basically all these players are on the books for the team in the NHL as well as the team they're playing for. Um, and again, um, it's pretty cool because you're seeing players that might be future NHLers or you're seeing players that maybe have played a bit in the NHL but also played in the, in the AHL. Um, and you get that sort of it's decent hockey but re- a little bit more reasonably priced. So again, that's something to look out for if you're going to Canada or America or anything like that where you want to go to a hockey game. Have a look for what the where the farm teams are um, they might be near to the. They're not always near um, to the uh, the place that they're the farm team of. Um, the the Edmonton farm team, for example, that was playing the uh, Calgary farm team that night. They they were from Bakersfield in California, so um, <laughs> it's not always clear cut where they'll be from, but it's certainly worth looking into. Um, so that was essentially the sporting part of Canada, and I think. What I well the live sporting part of Canada as well as some some anecdotes about the the, um, the trip itself, I think what I found really good about it was just the intermingling of fans, but there still being a massive atmosphere. Um, there was somebody and I can't remember who he is. So I actually maybe one day try and get him on the podcast. It was a Harlequins guy who um, was talking about how there should be designated away ends and designated home ends in rugby. Um, I don't like that idea uh, because rugby is unique in the sense that um, you go to Scotland-England game and you shout for your team but you're sitting next to English fans or you go to Scotland-Wales game and you're in a, you, you know, you're all intermingled. And one thing I hate about f- certain, going to f- certain football away games is sometimes if you're a away fan, you get stuck in like the wee rubbishy corner. Um, and even though you can make noise or whatever, it's like... You know, you're still in a rubbish place to watch the game. You're all cramped up. There's only one set of toilets and um, one place to get a pipe for about, uh, well, actually Scottish football, so 10 people. Um, but <laughs> I I, quite, I don't really like the idea of um, designated zones for fans. Um, I don't think it will create more of an atmosphere if you have away fans... Um, in a certain area and I know what will happen away fans will get put in a rubbish area to sit in a lot of places so those away fans might not go So or they'll buy home tickets and if people get super behind this sort of tribal idea that they kind of have more at football where you you have your home and away ends then it, I'm not saying there's going to be trouble but there will certainly be maybe less of an atmosphere so I worry about that Um but yeah, I love the fact that it's super passionate, but like, and it's it is kind of tribal. But in the same token, the fans actually just all sit next to each other as well, and just got on with being kind of tribal and supporting their team. You can sit anywhere in the arena. Um, the uh, game is fast and, and furious, and I could talk all day about how much hockey means to me and how much I've been, how long I've been in it. But that is kind of you know exciting to me. Um. So uh, let's turn away from Canada for a little bit. Um, might come back onto it at the end uh, and talk about the Scotland men's squad. Um, I'm going to say that this is one of the times where 
I would think that I'm least disappointed in Gregor Townsend for the squad he's picked. Um, but there are some talking points. And uh, as always, um, we'll start with the biggest one, uh, which for once is not the omission of Finn Russell um, or any soundbite that Gregor Townsend's created because he has omitted Finn Russell, um, but rather um, the calling up of Rudy McConaughey, uh, the player who has formerly played for England. Um, I didn't see it coming, I have to say, um, before the squad. It wasn't even something that crossed my mind. There's, there's times where you find a player Scottish qualified and you think, are they going to be called up? Called up? I have to say, a 31-year-old winger from Bath Rugby and former England player was not someone I was expecting to be called up. Now, I'm going to also qualify that by saying I have no issue with a former England player being called up under the rules. I know people are uneasy about players who played for other countries before, um, but Jack Dempsey's came in having had uh, um, 19 caps for Australia um, and been pretty good for us. Uh, so I don't see any issue with it. Um, I just was surprised by it. I think he is in as a bit of a band-aid, um, or a bandage, sorry, for Darcy Graham um, being injured. Um, I think it's a, let's have, let's bring him in, see what he's like around camp and stuff, because he's, he's got, you know, he's got pedigree. But, um, if Darcy Graham was available, I can't, I think out of all the back threes, I think he would be the one that was left behind. The only other player that maybe that happens to is Sean Maitland. Um, out of the two, I, I, I don't see any of the other wingers being left out because Kyle Stain's excellent for Glasgow and be really good for Scotland in the five caps he's had. Um, Duhan van der Merver's a sort of monster um, that we're not going to leave out. Um, and I'm not saying Kinghorn just to wind the people up and say that he's a back three player, but Kinghorn's also... Um, played most of his caps for Scotland um, on the wing. Um, so you've got a pretty solid back three and actually Kinghorn's done a quite a good job there. And then you've got Mayland who is a great servant. So that's why I think probably McConaughey would have been the most likely to not have been called up if Darcy Graham was fit. Um, the other uh, controversial call-up, and, and a lot of people are wondering how this happened and wondering, I suppose, or feeling that Kinghorn's been done a disservice, is uh, Ben Healy. Um, now, Scotland have been calling out for quality 10s. Essentially, the one thing that Scotland seems to have in abundance is quality back rows and quality centres. Um, we have a decent amount of nines, maybe not all full international quality nines, um, but we have... Um, a good amount of nines, but start standoff is definitely a position where beyond Finn Russell, um, Adam Hastings is good. Um, is good. Uh, sorry, um, Kinghorn's been okay in spells at ten, um, and then um, but you get to sort of beyond Adam Hastings and Finn Russell, and you kind of fall off a cliff a wee bit. Um, to some extent, I know that, as I say, Kinghorn's been good. I think Kinghorn's better for Edinburgh because Edinburgh's playing style suits Kinghorn. Um, I've been calling for ages for Charlie Savala to get a shot. 
But if I'm being honest, Ben Healy is a more, I think a 10 that's more suited to the international game. And I think having him as an actual backup to Finn Russell, um, maybe someone who can compete once Finn sort of steps down, because he, I mean, he's not ancient Finn, but he's 30. Um, he will step down in a few years. Um, having someone like Ben Healy who can, who's young and can compete with um, Adam Hastings, Luke Kinghorn if he's still on the go, and Charlie Savala, um, and any and Tom Jordan because he'll be coming eligible soon and he's tearing up trees for Glasgow and in fact might be a better ten than anyone I mentioned there apart from Finn. Um, I think this is I don't think this is a bad move by Scottish rugby and if he's up for it then good. And actually, I do think in some respects, I appreciate that folk are like, well, he wanted to play for Glasgow, he turned Scotland down, eh, sorry, not Glasgow, he wanted to play for Ireland, he turned Scotland down before, um, he's not going to be as passionate and all this sort of thing. Do you not think he's going to have the bit between his teeth because because Ireland turned him down? Do you not think when he's out there standing face to face against Sexton that he's want to do one over on him because... Sexton's the one who's held down every 10 in Ireland who could progress you know I 100% think that Ben Healy is an upgrade as a backup 10 to what we've got Um, you could argue that Adam Hastings is better, I think Kinghorn is not a finished product in that position, I think Kinghorn's one of these, he's actually unfortunate in the sense he's a great rugby player and I think but he's a kind of rugby player you plug in and play where you need them to. And for me, that actually his versatility is his undoing because Kinghorn is kind of the jack of all trades, master of none. And I don't mean that he can't play those positions well. What I mean is that he is not exceptional in terms of international exceptional in any position, really. But he's very, very good in a number of positions and I think that um, having Healy who's outright 10 who I think can cover full back if I remember right from watching the, the monster game that went to penalty kicks is is a big upgrade on on that as a is a backup to um, Finn and I think he's also a good player who can come on and control the game very good goal kicker as well um, which might be really crucial um, in a lot of games. So I'm actually really pleased that Ben Healy's been called up. I wanted him to be called up years ago. I know that uh, a couple of years ago, and I know that he turned down Glasgow. But I think, you know, when you're younger, uh, sorry, Edinburgh, I keep saying Glasgow, I mean Ireland. Um, when you're younger, your head's not entirely sure where you want to be, especially if you're living in Ireland and stuff, your peers and your pals are there. Um, but, you know, he's got he's got Scottish parentage. He's, you know, he's got to be good to go. And it's the nature of professional rugby. Um, that's what's going to happen. I don't know quite as much for Cameron Henderson, except I've heard great things. So I'm not going to comment on the, on his his call-up. Um, I am also quite pleased for Stafford McDowell. Um but again, this goes back to my point about there being so many good um, centres in Scotland. We've got Hugh Jones in the squad. We've got Sione Tuopolotto in the squad. Um, Stafford's obviously an inside centre, so I, may, uh, um, I should mention those two. Cami Redpath, 
and Sam Johnson's missing. I think that could be game time related as an inside centre. We've also and um, we've also not called up um, James Lang, who has been really good for Edinburgh in the games he's played. I think he's actually been probably our best centre this year. Um, and uh, we've got but in waiting in the wings, we've got Cami Hutchison, we've got Rory Hutchinson, we've got um, Chris Dean. Uh, who could still do a job if needed for Scotland and might go down as one of the best Scottish centres to never be capped. Mark Bennett has not made the squad, and I appreciate his, his form's dipped, but he was unbelievable in the summer last year. Um, I, it's really just it's so bizarre that we've got so many players in one position and we can't work out how to make players in other positions to cover those. Um in terms of the props, the other thing it concerns me is that is a tight head prop. Loose head, we've got Sutherland um, and we've got Schum, uh, Pierre uh, Schumann um, and Batty. And I think those three are, are good. I think, you know, you've got one, two, three there. It's clear who one, two and three are or clear who the one A and one B and then the three, the three is. Um but it's fine. It's safe enough. You're in safe hands. And if push came to shove, you've got Alan Dell, um, who's got international experience, and then you've got other props beyond that. Um, what does concern me is our tight head position. Now, I am still of the view that Nell does a job. Um, so Nell being in the squad is not something I'm against, especially in the Six Nations, where you're playing to win the Six Nations. Whether... Um, we think we can win the Six Nations realistically or not, we're playing to win them. Okay, Xander Ferguson's hurt, so he's not going to start against England. So we're, I'm assuming that they'll start now because beyond that, Murphy Walker's not there because he's hurt. Um, we've got Javin Sebastian, who is okay. Um, he's steady enough. And we've got um, Simon Bergen, who after watching the game tonight, um, or watching the tail end of the Glasgow game against Bath, I think should have been stood aside for Darcy Ray. Um, because he scrummaging looked a bit all over the place, and I did clarify with the um with those in the know um about the uh the positioning. Um and he said he's he was over. It was Craig Manson of the uh, Scottish Rugby Podcast said that his his leg placement was bad. Now I've always thought he was a bit of a dodgy scrummager. Um, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt in that one, but um, yeah, I think that um, we should have had Darcy Ray in. But even at that, that tight head position really really concerns me because beyond Nell, well beyond Nell and Fagerson, I know Fagerson is there, but Fagerson's injured, I worry about our scrummaging, um, particularly against Ireland, where we're going to be up against some really solid scrummagers and we're going to need to keep our scrum together. Even you know, even Wales, who have had a bad time of it recently, are going to be tough. And Italy, um, in the last Six Nations, gave our scrum a bit of a doing um, on the tight head side, even when Xander was playing. So, we're we're up against it, um, in the Six Nations and and tight head is one of the areas that really concerns me. Hooker again, Hooker we've got quite a few good hookers and I'm glad that they've brought Fraser Brown back. 
never thought I'd say that because he used to get penalised too much. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I would, um, we've got Turner in there as well, I think, for the squad. Uh, four hookers in the squad. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, what the dynamic is. Um, Dave Cherry seems to have found favour a little bit at times, but then Brown came back for that All Blacks game and was outstanding. Uh, Turner's been really good and uh, is a powerful runner. And I really like Ashman. So um, I, I think we've got a good um, array of hookers at the back row. We could talk all day about which back row missed and who should have been in there, Connor Boyle, you know, etc., etc. I think, to be honest with you, I think that's silly to argue, but it's just... We've got too many really good back rows. Um, you know, I even brought up uh, like Dylan Richardson, for example, the the South a- playing. I think for the Bulls, is it? Um, he's you know he's injured at the moment, but he was unbelievable at the start of the season. So there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of back rows that we can pick from, and I think whoever ter- uh, turns in picks in the back row, and it's not like we can jump up and down to defend them. Somebody somewhere was going to moan that he was he was wrong, um. So, uh, that's um, that's the Scotland squad and what I kind of think is interesting about it. Um, I wanted to quickly go through who I've got or who I, I might pick um for um my twenty three um just as a kind of discursive exercise in my head. So this um is maybe going to be kind of interesting. I think against England, I'd st- I think I would still start skewing, um, just ahead of Rory Sutherland. Um, I think it, Hooker, for me, uh, that's the top. That's the tough position to pick. I think against England, um, in Twickenham, um, as much as people will maybe think I'm not right in the head, I think I would possibly opt for Fraser Brown with Dave Cherry off the bench um, because those two are the most experienced, uh, so, uh, to me, the most settled in their arrows, um, but also um, Fraser Brown's a big abrasive player and then you can maybe bring Cherry off the bench. Might be an option to start Cherry um, and have an all-Edinburgh front row with WP Nell, who is who I would start against um, England. Uh, I think given that... We're scrummaging. I think I'd start WP, get him fifty minutes in against their best front row, and then hope that we can hang on if there's any substitutes uh, to be made. He could maybe go through eighty, but I don't think he'll be playing against Wales if he does. Um, and that's only assuming that Fagerson's, of course, not available um, for selection. Um, second row's a bit more up for debate, I think. Um, I would start my namesake Richie Gray. Um, I think he's been playing too well not to not to get involved. Um, I I'm not a big fan of starting Grant Gilchrist, so possibly I'd start Richie Gray and Sam Skinner, um, and then have maybe Johnny off the bench or start Johnny and Richie together with Sam Skinner off the bench. So you've got that impact off the bench. Uh, Cummins is not available, or he would have probably been. Um, in over the uh, the others for being the f- the partner of Richie Gray, um, but Richie Gray's just playing too well, and with the World Cup coming up, I, I don't care about his age. I just want to see how he 
we can maybe possibly get out of that group and he's one of the best players we've got at the moment. Um, back row uh, kind of picks itself in a sense. Um, uh, well, certainly six picks itself. Um, I would pick Jamie Ritchie um, unless you're going to put Mark Fagerson there with Jamie Ritchie at seven um, and then have Dempsey at eight. But personally, I'd pick Ritchie at six. I'd pick Crosby uh, at seven and Fagerson at um, eight. Uh, Matt Fagerson has to be in the starting 15 for me um, he's been he's always good for Scotland as far as I'm concerned or nearly always good for Scotland um, in the backs you're going to have Finn Russell um, starting presumably um, that to me means that you have to pick Ali Price which feeling Ben White I don't think Finn and George Turner work as well together because I think they both want to call the game <laughs> it's the impression I get um, but uh, personally, I, I think we just have to opt for Ali Price because he is the most experienced, and I think it, you know he's he's due a game where he just one of those games where he just controls everything like he did the last time in Twickenham, and Finn Russell is his his partner. Twelve, <laughs> twelve for me is the is probably one of the toughest positions for. Townsend to pick because who, whoever he picks there someone's going to think he should have picked someone else and he should have done something different he could go for what Glasgow had um, against Bath which was Hugh Jones at 12 and, and uh, two Pilotto at 13 um, I don't think he'll do that and I don't think he should do that I think he should pick um, two Pilotto at 12 and Harris at 13 um, if he wants to be adventurous um, and wants to play um, two plot at 13, which I think he's probably slightly better at, I'd put Cammy, Cammy Redpath at 12 with two plot at 13. Um, and I think that gives us a little bit more balance um, in the in the back um, in there. And arguably, and this might come, come as kind of crazy, You've then got the option in the back three of putting Harris in as a winger because you've not got you know and Darcy Graham, and you've uh, he he can play on the wing, um, or you put him in you put him in the the bench. Um, in terms of the back three, uh, sorry, in so uh, to finalise, I'm going to opt for um, being a little bit more creative and going down the route of two or three plot at thirteen with Cammy Redpath at twelve. Um, which is a little less experienced, um, but I think I think would give us a little bit more um, in attack. Um, in terms of the back three, uh, I don't know if we're ruling Hoggy out. I think Hoggy is um, not played, as far as I understand. He's not going to have played for quite a while before this, or uh, before the Six Nations, so there's a chance that Hoggy doesn't start. Um, but if he is fit, I think he will have to be the 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 fullback on the day. Um, although personally, if he's in, if he is just coming back from injury, I'd rather that he was maybe on the bench. Um, as an op an SOS option, and you maybe looked at putting Maitland at at fifteen or Ollie Smith at fifteen. Um. I think now I've got to make a decision. I've put myself in a bit of a corner here. 11 is Duane van der Merva, and I think we keep it that way, um, even though um, arguably he's not had the best form recently. I think you do it that way just because he is, he's going to draw defenders, he's going to make metres, 
um, and and the like. Um, I think um, in my head, I'm in I'm in a lot of different minds as to who should do what. Um, I'm going to assume that Hoggy is fit enough to play, in which case I'm going to put him at fifteen, um, which just leaves the fourteen shirt. And I think um, as much as I love Sean Maitland, that Kyle Stain should get the nod um, for for a the reasons that he is playing well for Glasgow. He defends really well, um, and um, he can he can also cover other positions if we're completely screwed as well. So that's helpful to know. Um, in terms of the bench, um, I think I've ultimately decided on Cherry starting. So uh, Brown on the bench. Um, uh, Sutherland is our loose head on the bench tight head on the bench uh, the Sander not playing I'm going to opt for Gavin Sebastian and hope that things go well um, I've I've already said that I've opted um, for uh, Richie Gray and um, Sam Skinner in the second row so we have uh, Johnny Gray on, on the bench um, in the back row um, I opted for uh, Jamie Ritchie, Luke Crosby and Matt Figerson. Um, I think a lot of people will be screaming at me for this because it leaves out Jack Dempsey, but I think Andy Christie um, should should be our bench option given he can cover all three positions. Um, I don't see Velikot in this squad, so um, <laughs> my biases are put to one side. Um, I think as much as George Turner's been playing well, I think the way Ben White's played for Scotland, he merits staying on the bench. Uh, ben Healy, for me, um, comes in as your 10 option um, against England. I think there's an option later on in the game, potentially, to go for Broke and to um, move uh, Finn Russell out to 12 if we're desperate and put um, put Healy on, um, perhaps for the kicking or whatever. Which leaves one last bench spot, um, and but the back three I've selected that you might think that I would put Maitland in there. If Maitland is, I suppose, in the sense we've got twelve covered with uh, Finn Russell, we've also got um, the you know a other positions covered by different people. Um, however, I think personally I would put Harris on the bench if he's not starting. Um, so he can come on as a winger. Um, he could come on at thirteen, and two Pilotta can move to the winger, move inside. Um, it gives us. We've still got lots of options, but he's been such a season campaigner for Scotland. If I'm rolling the dice a little bit and putting two Pilotta and Cami Redpath in the uh, the midfield, then I'm keeping Chris Harris in the squad. So that's my squad. Let me know what you think of that. <laughs> um, and then just finally, uh, I think. I've probably not talked about absolutely everything I wanted to talk about. Um, but just finally, uh, the new um, RFU tackle directive slash law type thing. Um, they've now announced RFU that you must tackle below the waist in amateur rugby. And um, and that's at youth level and the adult level. Um, and everybody has kicked off either defending it or attacking it um, and the thing for me that <laughs> that's kind of daft about it is that 
folk are sort of citing all kinds of craziness. Now, it was funny because one of my observations of it was one of the, two of the worst concussions I've had. Um, incidentally, one of them being the last one, which might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. So it'll be the it might not be the worst concussion. It might just be the multitude of concussions I had that uh, made me eventually just go, I can't do this anymore. Um, have come from tackles. Uh, in fact, the first concussion, not that I remember happening, but <laughs> the first concussion um, that I sort of recall the after effects of um, was from a tackle um, in under-18s um, with a knee to the head. Now, I was about to kick off um, earlier today when folk were saying it, you know, it protects the head doing this. Um, until uh, Johnny McGinty on the the Scottish Rugby podcast did say we were taught to tackle cheek to cheek, um, and he is a hundred percent right. We were taught to tackle cheek to cheek. I um, remember that's how they used to do it, and um, I thought to myself. So basically, what Johnny McGinty saying is that you weren't. Um, unprotected, you're just really bad at rugby, so thanks for that. But equally, I see where they're coming from. I do have some sympathy for certain arguments about this. One, it's a sudden change. Um, and so the game will change in amateur levels. It's not such a change as to completely ruin the game in the amateur levels. As you go down the levels, you're not able... People aren't as good at offloading. Um, and also, hitting someone low and hard will bring them down and give you an opportunity to steal ball at the um, at the ruck. So, in fact, if you look at like Dan Lydia and stuff like that, they've made a career out of tackling like that. I mean, actually tackling like that so I don't think that the, the, the you know this has ruined the game brigade have real merit in their argument I get that some people are like but what about Mullen, what about this, what about that that's all fair and true because you know I used to, one of the things I used to like to try and do was rip the ball wasn't always successful but it was quite you know, it can be quite an effective tactic to to latch onto the ball rather than the person almost and try and rip it out. And where does that leave um you uh, with the new rule? Like the new, sorry, new laws. The, the new law is you must tackle ball the waist in the RFU. Um, so there's that, there's that element of it that it takes away certain defensive abilities. Um, and that all may be so. I mean, one of the things it could do is take away the slapdown rule, but um, <laughs> that'll probably cause mayhem just the same. Um, so there's that element of it. I think after listening to Johnny McGinty and what you said, I, I don't accept that um, you're deliberately putting the tacklers in danger. You're discouraging tackles like the the you know the sort of the Pierce Francis one we saw, where he's standing completely upright and passively. <laughs> 
it causes a head-on-head as a result of that, um, and you're encouraging people to bend at the waist and make the tackle in the midsection. I think potentially, I think there is an argument that they could have maybe started from, say, below shoulder height, so somewhere around the nipples, um, the nipple area, like badging below. Um, it's assuming most clubs have their badge in the same place. Um, just to give a little bit more leeway, because obviously as people get older, bending down is a struggle. Um, but one of the things I saw today, and I, I did quite like it, in fact I loved it, was um, Jim Hamilton was kind of saying how it, it, he wasn't happy with this change in law. And then Neil Back said that that's how he tackled his whole career. Um, round the waist and I was like that's one of the best flankers that's ever played this game saying that um, in fact in my argument the best flanker that I recall playing and yeah okay play for England and we can all be biased about who, who's who but Neil Back was awesome uh, in his day uh, so um, you know I don't I don't think it's going to ruin the game I do think it's going to change the game. I think there's going to be more people trying to throw ridiculous offloads, which might lead to more stops and starts. I do think that it, potentially, because England's got a little bit of a pyramid system, leaves a bit of an issue between Championship and League One in England, where they're going to be playing different laws. So you could win League One because you've got like a team that loves chucking the ball about and then go to league, the Championship and was spanked because you can't defend them all. But... It's something, and somebody needed to try something, um, and I think maybe potentially there's ways that they could they could have done this a bit more softly, softly. Um, I've seen other tweets um, talking about um, how the like professional rugby players, um, such as Cat Merchant, coming out and saying that her concussions were caused by low tackles, and. Um, not having the right angles and being forced to do head-on low tackles um, will ultimately cause more concussions. Um, equally, arguably, I've not played at the level that she has um, or anywhere near that level for, incidentally, or some of the other players like Hamilton and all that that have complained about this. But the worst dump tackle I ever received was round my thighs um, where the guy came at me head-on I don't have a step in me, so that's <laughs> I um got caught thigh squeezed and went about eight steps backwards before landing and it hurt like hell. I landed on my back um as well. So yes, whilst I fully um understand the concerns, I don't I don't think the idea that you can't make a dominant tackle if you're tackling around the waist um, the game is ruined the game's gone soft this will cause more concussions without there being evidence or massive studies done to say that it will um, I understand that in France it says the opposite um, I know there was a trial that was disbanded because it was. they seemed to say it was causing more concussions but my understanding of that was this: these were boys that were playing in a cup competition with different laws and then they were going and playing in their league the week afterwards and tackling upright again. So I think I think it needs to be given a chance. 
but I think it's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction rather than thinking it through and even consulting. I think if they consulted with clubs and players and such like and done a big consultation on the matter, I think they would have got an answer that maybe wouldn't have set everybody off. And for once, it's nice to be talking about a union um, that isn't the SRU with bad PR. Um, so thank you, England. Um, we appreciate that. Um, anyway, I have rambled for a lengthy period of time about, I'm pretty sure, nothing. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you're still with me, then great. Next week, I have um, Hugh McKee um, coming on the podcast with me. He is um, a former uh, high school friend uh, who loves contact, not contact sport, uh, combat sports, and is going to talk about MMA and boxing and what he thinks is exciting in it and how he got into, how he got involved in watching it so much and why he likes it so much. Um, I've never heard anyone that has quite the in-depth um, opinions uh, on the matter. I mean, most people's, or certainly my knowledge, uh, level of knowledge in terms of uh, combat sports is I think so-and-so will knock the living daylights out of so-and-so and that's about as much as it goes. Uh, watch the occasional occasional um, UFC match or the occasional boxing match if it's on, uh, but don't go out my way to find it. Um, so, in any event, thank you for listening so much. Um, there will be another podcast uh, next week. Um, if there's any issues you're not happy with on here, please give me feedback. I'm quite happy to hear it. Um, I want to get better at presenting these things. Um, and likewise, if there's any... Um, questions you have or any comments on uh, my 23 for the uh, Scotland-England game, then let me know. It's just as well I don't pick it because I can never be blamed for for it going well. If that is the 23 that comes out and we get pumped, don't blame me. I don't think Tooney took his advice from me. Um, but uh, yeah, have a great week, guys. Thanks so much for listening and uh, I'll speak to you next time.